Great start. I dropped the remote. <laughs> well, good evening. Glad to be with y'all. Uh, I'm always excited to be able to come to Midway uh, from David's invitation. He, he sees fit to invite me every about three or four years. There for a while, I think it was about 10 years between invitations, and I didn't know what I did to make him mad, or maybe he didn't want to hear me again anytime soon. This time, he didn't want to hear me, went to camp. And so uh, I, I'm just thankful uh, for his friendship. And we lived together at Faulkner University for about two or three months uh, before he and Kelly got married. And it was me and him and Alan Webster and we stacked our bunk beds three high. And I was on the top, and you think, well, yeah, I was the freshman that got the raw end of the deal. David was in a little spot like this, like he was sleeping under somebody's bed. I don't know how he did it, but, but we did that for several months. I know he was just thrilled to get out of the room with us when he got married. But um, just thankful to be with you tonight. Uh, as was said before, I, I, I'm at Stony Point in Florence. And uh, we do go back a long way. Um, I hadn't found anybody that was there at the beginning that uh, is still a member there, but uh, we, uh, we did celebrate 200 years back in uh, 2016. So, but uh, we do have, some, uh, have a cemetery that's got a, a lot of old graves out there as well. So a good history, but I always tell them history is great, but what are we going to do today and what are we going to do tomorrow? That's really what matters uh, in our generation. We've got a great legacy to build upon, but, but that's always the thought. And uh, what, what can we do uh, for the Lord now uh, with the time that we have? And so tonight we're going to be looking at some things that hopefully will help us uh, to make wise decisions. And uh, as, as we come to that point, David told me, he said, it's pretty wide open. He said, just, just preach on something that help us to make good choices. And I said, okay, well, let's just take that topic and we'll go with it. I hope that wasn't last week's topic, by the way. Uh, but uh, if it was, maybe I'll do a different approach. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, for just a few moments tonight. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, what time am I supposed to quit? That's always the magic question. We have classes come back in and then invitation or... Okay, gotcha. The bell is my warning. That's all I needed to know. All right. Hebrews chapter 11. You know, life, as someone once said, is a series of decisions that we make. And they take us in different directions. And we all know that, that we make some pretty difficult decisions at a young age. I haven't quite understood why our society puts so much pressure on 18 to 22 year olds to make big time choices. Um, we've just been through four children that we've raised in our house. And I can tell you that 18 to 22 year olds really don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and, uh, and you know that. Um, and, and so one of my sons and one of my daughters changed their major three times each and went to five or six year plan in school. Um, we've had them make, you know, all kinds of different decisions that, that we worried about. Uh, finally, one of them made a good decision and got married here in the last, uh, last month. And so they did make a bad decision, though. They got married at our house, and that made a lot of work for me. And uh, I was supposed to just show up and pay for the rehearsal dinner, and that was it. But somehow or another, I ended up working harder than her dad did. So, uh, but anyway... 
choices, decisions, things that, that we all have to make that, um, that do kind of chart our course in life. And, and we all know that especially the big decisions when it comes to, to who we're going to serve and, and who we're going to live for really does make a difference in, in what we end up doing and, and how our life turns out, doesn't it? And so what we're going to do for just a few moments tonight is look at Hebrews chapter 11 and look at Moses as the Hebrews writer talks about his faith. We all know that Hebrews 11 is that chapter of faith that that uh, highlights some, not all, of those who had faith that we read about in the Bible. And, and yet it tells us, and it's very interesting, that, that each one of these folks did something. You know, a lot of times we think about faith as a belief system or, you know, something that's personal and internal. But if you noticed, by faith Noah did what? Built the ark. You know, by faith Abraham left his homeland. By faith, Abraham offered his son. Uh, here we have, by faith, Moses. He's about to do something. And so it kind of really reminds us that James chapter 2 uh, is, is really where it all comes down to what we really mean is faith. Do we have a living faith? Because he says faith without works, without action, is dead. And so when we start thinking about faith from this chapter, we see that pattern of those who are doing things by faith. And so faith is not just a belief. The devils believe and tremble, right? But here it tells us that they all did something by faith. They had action to prove their faith. Well, here Moses, starting in verse 23, it mentions him uh, as, a, as a young child, that he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. And so we, we remember the background, don't we, of Moses? How the fact that they hid him and they hid him till they couldn't hide him any longer. And then they put him in the little ark and they put him in the, the river and, and sent him down the, the way. And Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And, uh, and I picture it a lot like maybe my daughter at, at a younger age when she found a, a puppy or a kitten and said, Daddy, can we keep them? <laughs> And I think she probably brought that child to, to daddy or to family and said, you know, can we keep him? He's so cute. And, and of course they said yes. And so here Moses, we know through the providence of God, is now in Pharaoh's house. He's now protected. All the other males are being slaughtered, but yet he survives it because God uh, made that happen through the actions of his parents by faith. But then we know that Moses grew up. And it's interesting to think about his growing up years, okay? You remember who his, his nurse is, his nanny, I guess you would call her. That was his real mom, right? And so, no doubt, she is telling him who he is as he grows up. That you are not an Egyptian, you're a Hebrew. You're part of God's people. And God's people are suffering, and, and yet, you know, we are, we are doing our best to trust in God through all this. And so Moses grows up knowing he's a Hebrew, but he's also an Egyptian because he's living in the palace. He's living in Pharaoh's house. And uh, that had to be something special. A lot of times we kind of skip over the details of what that must have been like. But think about it. He, he, as the rich man is described in Luke chapter 16, he fared sumptuously every day, didn't he? I mean, he had the life living in the palace. Uh, you know, here he is, his, 
His, his grandfather is the ruler of, of the world at this point in time. So, so anything that he wants, he probably gets. Anything that he sees is the best of the best. And so it tells us here in the text, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. See, he got to a point, an age, where he had to make a choice in life. Do I stay over here with the Egyptians and live as an Egyptian and stay in, in Pharaoh's house? Or do I go and, and you know, connect with my people? And, and am I going to be a Hebrew that serves God and, and is going to be willing to do whatever it takes uh, to, to be a part of this group of folks? So it tells us that he had this choice to make, this decision. This is going to chart the course of his life from here on out. And it's a big time spiritual decision, is it not? It tells us that, that he's going to choose the world or he's going to choose God. You know, you have pagans in Egypt and they are worshiping all these idols and, and he knows that, but he knows who the true and living God is as well. So he has this point of decision. Now we all have that, do we not? At some point as we grow up, that we have to decide whom we're going to serve. Like Joshua said, choose you this day who you're going to serve. Uh, I remember I was 15 years old when I made that choice. Uh, I was uh, a part of a family that we didn't go to church growing up. I had a neighbor that lived across the street from me named Frances Johnson. And she would invite us to vacation Bible school every year all the neighborhood kids, and we'd load up and go with her. And my parents didn't mind us doing all that. Probably gave them a break from us. And so we went on to vacation Bible school with her every year that I remember growing up. But I never went to church with her, never went to worship with her. And, um, and you know, I grew up watching Three Stooges on Sunday morning or sleeping late or, you know, that's about all that was on when I was growing up. And so I was used to just doing you know, what everybody else was doing, which was nothing. And um, at some point that summer that I was 15 years old, uh, before my 10th grade year in high school, one of her grandchildren actually would come down and, and, um, and spend the summer, part of the summer with her. And she was a tomboy growing up. And we played and, you know, she was getting there in rough house with all us boys in the neighborhood. Well, it had been a couple of years since we'd seen her. She came back down at age 15, and she wasn't a tomboy anymore. She had long blonde hair, and I spotted her over there. And, of course, I had to go over there and ask her if she'd go skating with me that Saturday night. So I slipped over there and smoothly asked her if she'd go skating, and she said yes, and that was it for that summer. There was a summer romance that, you know, just was off the chart. You know, here, here we are uh, just all the time together. And, and um, I asked her, I said, can I go to church with you? And she said, sure. And so I started going with her. And her, of course, her grandmother was thrilled about it. And uh, my plan, though, was when she goes back home, she lived up north, I'll go back to sleeping late on Sunday mornings. And I'm, I'm just going to go kind of to be with her. But the good thing was I made some friends there at church. I enjoyed the preacher. He was a young fella and, and was wonderful to, to me. And um, after she left, I kept going. And uh, that was in August when she went back home, and I was baptized in October. And um, 
And I look back on that and I, I always give credit to a couple of guys. Uh, Gene Sharp and, and Kenny Morris befriended me and I probably would have quit if they hadn't been friends with me. So it just tells you that every opportunity you have when somebody walks even through our doors of our church buildings, we all do our best to take advantage of that opportunity. And I'm so thankful they did for me. But I made that decision, I made that choice. And my parents obviously are not Christians and so I talked with them about it and they were not opposed to it. But I got up on Sunday mornings when they didn't and I went to church by myself. And I, I won't tell you that so you can think a lot of me. I'm just telling you that was part of my choice. Here I'm gonna kind of go counter to what my family lifestyle is like. My mom and dad and my brother, you know, they were more into the, the worldly stuff. And so all of us have that choice or that decision that we have to make at some point of who we're going to serve. And here Moses is at that point. He's got to decide, am I going to be a Hebrew or am I going to be an Egyptian? But notice here, and I love this text, and this is why I chose this to study with you tonight. If you look here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, starting verse 24, it, it just shows us what he had to choose from. And there were really three main choices that he had to make, kind of little sub-choices in the overall picture here. And, and really, when it comes to you and me, we have these same choices that we have to make. Very practical, too, uh, as far as everyday living. So notice with me, first of all, in verse 25, it tells us that when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So notice the fact that he chose suffering over pleasure. Now that's kind of abnormal, isn't it? <clears throat> now I don't go looking for suffering, and I, I would hope you don't either. If you do, maybe we can help you later. But you know, nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes to choose to hurt or to be uncomfortable or you know, to be in, in a spot where we're not happy. But yet Moses, as, as relaxed and probably... Uh, comfortable as he was in the palace, when he made this choice, he knew that was going to end that type of lifestyle. And, and that meant all the, the things that he'd seen going on there as well. I would dare say in the king's palace, there was a lot of immorality, uh, a lot of things that were just ungodly that went on. But again, maybe appealed to him in the flesh a little bit, just like the world does to us. And so he had this choice to make, am I going to suffer with my people or am I going to enjoy the pleasures of sin? Now, I submit to you tonight, that was probably a tough choice, right? It, it's a tough choice for all of us because there's a pretty big pull in this fleshly body to want to do what pleases it, right? We well, think about it. Here we see that it says he chose to suffer with his people rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The King James says, the pleasure of sin for a season. Okay? Now, let's start there. Sin is pleasurable, isn't it? If it wasn't, nobody would be tempted to do it, would they? If it was like work or, or you know, painful, we wouldn't sin. So sin is pleasurable. But for how long? Just for a season, a short time. The passing pleasures of sin. And then comes the regret, then comes the guilt, then comes all that that follows. And, and so when you start thinking about the choice that he had to make, 
he evaluated it based on the fact that he, he could see that it was not fulfilling to these folks to live in that type of lifestyle. That was sinful, it was pleasurable, but yet it wasn't fulfilling. And we see that all around us, don't we? We see people that chase after money and uh, or pleasure or power or whatever it is in this life, popularity, and we see the fact that they get there and it never does satisfy. I don't know if you saw this uh, little interview or documentary of Tom Brady several years ago. I think it was 60 Minutes. Um, and the fellow who was interviewing him, was, he was just really you know, kind of giddy about interviewing Tom Brady. I think he was just a fan and, and uh, he was sitting on the edge of his seat and he was asking him all these questions about his career. And if you think about Tom Brady, here is a very successful man in his career. He's made millions upon millions of dollars. He is married to a model. So here he has what most people in the world would say, you know, the, the perfect girl for him. Uh, he has fame. Everybody knows him from his football, you know, for the most part. And so the guy's asking him all these questions and he says, so how does it feel? I think this is Super Bowl five or six. I don't even know how many he's won now, but it was on up there, uh, you know, four or five. And he said, how does it feel to win all these Super Bowls and have this type of life? And, and Tom Brady made a, a, a comment that this man was caught off guard by. He said, <laughs> He said, sometimes I sit there and think, is this it? And the guy was shocked because I think he had such envy for Tom Brady that he thought, I would switch places with you just like that. And for him to say, is this all there is? And he said, he, he kind of had a, a rebuttal question. He said, well, if this is not it, then what is it? And Tom Brady said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Of course, I'm watching the television going, I know. <laughs> I know what you need. You need a relationship with God because that's the only thing that's going to satisfy you. Of course, he couldn't hear me through the screen. But, you know, it was obvious that here this man had accomplished everything that the world had to offer and it still didn't satisfy. I'll go back to, to those of you who are older. You remember Muhammad Ali? He, there's a quote that is connected to him that says, I had the whole world and it wasn't nothing. And so over and over we see that in our societies, that people that, that reach the top, that get there you know, to the place where we all think we ought to be and, or where we would think we would be the happiest, you know, having all the stuff that we'd ever want, never satisfies. And so I think Moses, through the wisdom that Maybe his mother taught him and, and obviously uh, being trained in the ways of God. He was able to make this choice to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy these, the pl passing pleasure of sin. And, and again, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we are choosing to suffer if we choose to follow Jesus. Now in America that... That's not as bad of suffering as we see other Christians, our brethren throughout the world and other places, because we know that they suffer uh, at the hands of oppressive governments, at hostility toward Christianity. We understand, even reading in the Bible here in Hebrews 11, of some of the persecution that God's people have gone through in the past. 
And so we've had it easy. But folks, let me tell you, our world's quickly changing, and you know it. And, and Christians are going to be persecuted more and more, and it's already happening here in America. And we might look at that, and, and we might be sad about that, but let me tell you, I think it's a good thing. And, and, and the reason why is when you read in the book of Acts, when the people of God, when the church was persecuted, what happened? It grew. And so it helps us to say, hey, we need to be serious about this. You know, we don't need to be soft Christians. We don't need to just kind of show up on Sundays and Wednesdays. We need to live this life with the dedication that these people that we read about in the Bible did as well. And, and persecution helps us to be more serious about it, helps us to make that stand. And so, so the first part of the choice that he had to make and the overall choice was, am I going to choose suffering or am I going to choose pleasure? And we know that he chose suffering. Let's look back in the text again. Uh, here in verse 26, we find another choice that he had to make. And it says, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And so secondly, we see that he chose the riches of Christ over the treasures in Egypt. You see that parallel again? He had these, these two choices. Do I choose the riches over here in the palace that I see all the time? Or do I choose the riches of Christ? Now we know that Jesus was not a part of Moses' life. But as the Hebrews writer kind of equates it with that, he's, he's looking at the big picture and says, you know, he's choosing God's wealth over the wealth that's before him in Egypt. Now again, that's pretty tough, isn't it? If you're in the palace and you see money every day, gold and silver and such like, and you see the best of everything, that's hard to, to, to get, get your eyes off of, to, to not have a little desire to have that stuff. You know, um, I remember one time I was real proud of my old 03 Toyota pickup. I just washed it, and it only gets a bath about once or twice a year. And so I got it all cleaned up, and I was so happy. And I, I said, man, I just love this truck. And uh, in pulls one of our deacons from church. He came to do a little work at our house in a brand new F-150 truck. I mean, had everything on it. Parks it right by my little Toyota truck. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I had to say, that Toyota truck didn't satisfy as much as what I thought I would like in that Ford truck. We all have that, don't we? We see, we're kind of happy or settled with what we got until we see somebody's got something nicer or better, and then we start having a little envy. We most of the time get over it pretty quick, but we, we have to confess we have a little bit of that going on, right? And so here Moses is looking at all the treasures of Egypt, and he's going to give that up in order to have future riches. Because it's not going to be riches here versus riches here. It's riches now versus riches later. And that's, that's the deal with us as well, is what, is what is our pursuit in this life? Is it to have the best of everything financially? Is it to make the most money that we can make and achieve you know, the most success uh, you know, materially, financially that we can? Now let me just pause and say there's nothing wrong with having stuff. We all have nice stuff. Um, but is that our focus? Is that our goal in life? I mean, I know people that that's their goal, that, that they just want to make a lot of money and, and spend it on themselves. And they think that'll make them happy. 
And yet Moses could see past that. He could see that delayed gratification and, and knew that, hey, heaven will have the eternal riches and the things that I'm looking at are temporary. These things are going to fade away. Jesus even says a lot about that, doesn't he? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now Jesus puts that out there and he tells them right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, don't focus on piling up stuff here. By the way, I don't know what it is here lately around our house, but they are building storage units all over the place. And our old Dollar General closed and they moved it up by our house and uh, built a new one. Well, the old one's now an indoor storage, climate control. And uh, over close to Stony Point, on the other side of the county, uh, Family Dollar went out of business. Guess what it is? Storage. <laughs> and I'm thinking... Who has all this stuff to store that they keep building these things? But evidently we do. And so we, we tend to be a society or a people that, that have a lot of stuff and, and we accumulate it. And, and so that's again something that we need to think about. Does that really matter that much? Are we, are we focused too much on that and not on the spiritual, not on the long-term things? So, so Jesus is encouraging us. He says, don't lay it up here on earth. Because, by the way, it can be taken away from you if you lay it up here, right? Moth and rust destroy. Uh, I remember my dad had a 64 and a half Mustang, and uh, he drove it till it wouldn't drive anymore, and then he couldn't bear to get rid of it, so he parked it next to the house. And one day, out of curiosity, I went out there and popped up, opened the trunk just to see what was still in the car, and I looked, and the whole bottom of the trunk had rusted out. And uh, it reminded me again, hey, rust corrupts, doesn't it? It's going to destroy. Uh, I remember mothballs in my grandmother's closet. That's all I need to say about that. Um, when we were playing hide and seek, I was hoping to be found as soon as possible. <laughs> I was smothering in the mothballs. But we all understand moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. You ever had anything stolen from you? I mean... All of us at some point in life probably have, have lost something to a thief. Um, so it can be taken away from us. The elements can take it away. Life can take it away. So we have to keep that in mind. But the treasure in heaven can't be taken away. Moth and rust do not destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. And, and that's the thing is these are permanent. These are, are eternal riches. Now it's not that we are, are trying to pile up something for the future Really, the, the true, and I want to say this as plain as I can, the joy of going to heaven is not streets of gold and walls of jasper and all these possessions. The joy of heaven, folks, is to be in the presence of God, who is the source of all that's good. And that's why hell is going to be terrible, because it is absent of the presence of God. It's not so much the flames and the devil and all that, it's you're out of God's presence, out of His blessings. And so let's keep that in mind that, that not only are we thinking about heaven and thinking about how great it's going to be, but think about how great it'll be to be in His presence and, and to be there with Him. And so let's all set that as our goal. But notice verse 21 before we leave Matthew chapter 6. 
He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, there have been times where I've read that and I thought it seemed backward. You ever thought that? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Seems like where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. But now Jesus knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? Wherever we pile up our treasure, folks, guess what? Our heart is going to follow it. So if you pile it up here, you're going to have this feeling and this attitude that you don't want to part with your stuff and your heart is going to be set on this world. But if you are sending it on, if you are thinking about it being in the future, then, hey, this world doesn't matter that much, does it? My heart is, is attached to the future. It's attached to heaven. And so Jesus is telling us that it's not just a matter of, of stuff. It's a matter of your heart. And so that's why he doesn't want us to lay up treasure on earth. He wants us to lay it up in heaven so our hearts will be connected there. And so as we look back again here to Hebrews chapter 11, Moses chose the riches of Christ rather than the treasures in Egypt. And by the way, that is the best choice any of us can ever make is to choose the riches of Christ and all the blessings that are attached to being a Christian, being a child of God. I mean, think about all that's said about the inheritance that we have that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. It's incorruptible. All the scriptures, we could just keep enumerating all the things that keep telling us about our future treasures and, and how wonderful they're going to be. To enjoy and again to be in the presence of God along with all that is is really the ultimate but but we have the same choice do we pursue the things of this world we pursue the things of eternal nature you know do we think about heaven every day do we think about you know the fact that we're we're looking forward to one day being there rather than uh, you know just getting so caught up in this world we, we miss out on it and and I think Satan's number one goal is to distract us. He's over here waving at us with all this stuff and saying, pay attention to this. Don't pay attention to, to your Bible or the spiritual things in life. I want you to pursue you know, vehicles and jewelry and money and all this stuff. You know? And so that's, that's the thing is we have to stay focused on where we are heading. And that was, that's part of our choice. We really have to make these decisions every day when we wake up, don't we? We're going to serve God. We're going to serve ourselves. Uh, are we going to make that choice to, to choose suffering over pleasure? Are we going to make that choice to choose the riches of Christ over the treasures here? And then the third one, the last one, I want you to notice again in verse 27. It says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And so in the third place, part of the overall choice is, he chose the invisible king over the visible king. A little tongue twister there. He chose the invisible king over Pharaoh. And by the way, he, he saw Pharaoh every day, no doubt, or at least uh, evidence of him being that he lived in the palace uh, close by. And so when you start thinking about this choice, you have to start thinking, well... Obviously, he's choosing God if he's choosing God's people. But think about this. And let me ask this question. Do you find yourself being more concerned about what people think about you than what God thinks about you? 
See, there are times where we become people pleasers rather than God pleasers. And we do. We, we work at making sure that people, we have their approval, even if it means compromising something when it comes to God and His will. And so when we start thinking about this choice that Moses had to make, it had to be intimidating because you have the leader of the world at this point that you're about to upset because you're going to refuse to be part of his family any longer. You're talking about an insult. I mean, for an Egyptian to make that choice versus a Hebrew, you know, some, some Hebrew slave that says, hey, I don't like you and I don't like your family <laughs> and I, I would never be a part of your family. He would pay no attention to them. But he's raised this boy. I mean, he's, he's seen him through all the developmental stages of life. He knows him. He's been in his house. And for him to forsake the royal family, if you will, had to be a huge decision and choice for him. And, and a difficult one at that. Even though the text tells us he didn't fear the wrath of the king, I would say that that just meant that his fear didn't overcome his faith. I think human... From a human standpoint, he had some nervousness or fear about that. But he didn't let that make him a people pleaser. He didn't make that determine his decision. And folks, when it comes to family, when it comes to our choices, with, you know, with people closest to us, we can't be a, a, a people pleaser in place of being a God pleaser. I remember after I became a Christian, Christmas fell on a Sunday. And we have our family traditions. You know, we go, we used to go back when I was growing up to my grandmother's for breakfast and we would do all that and open gifts there. We would do the, all the early stuff at our house first and then eventually we'd go back home and play with everything we got for Christmas. And I remember Saturday night, mom said, you know, tomorrow's Christmas. I said, yeah. And she said, uh, well, you're not going to church, are you? You're going to be with us, aren't you? And I just smiled at her. I said, well, I'll, I'll get to grandmother's as soon as I can, as soon as I get out of church. She kind of wasn't happy about that, you know. But I was committed, you know, to doing what I said I was going to do. And again, not bragging on myself. I'm just simply saying that sometimes we're put in that spot. I know a lady and her daughter that we baptized at Stony Point several years ago and they came faithfully for a while to worship and then they started kind of missing and eventually they weren't showing up. So me and one of the elders went over to check on them, visited with them. And she just made this statement. She said, my husband and my son, they don't want us to come to church. And they make it hard on us every Sunday to stay with them and spend time with family. And she said, you know, I fought it and fought it. And she said, it's just so hard. I just can't keep fighting it. And here she is as a new Christian, weak. I understand that sometimes that happens. And we tried to encourage her, you know, to, to keep on, but she didn't. But that's the thing is sometimes we're put in that spot where we have to make that decision. Am I going to be a, a pleaser of somebody around me that's, that, that's got a lot of influence on me or that has a connection to me relationship-wise that I may rock the boat with? Or am I going to choose to be faithful to God? A lot of times, fortunately, we don't have to make that decision all the time, but there are times where we do. 
And so let's make sure that, that we choose the invisible king over the visible king. And I think that's sometimes hard for us because, you know, for us to really trust in God and, and really connect with him on a personal level is, is sometimes difficult. We can't see him, can't touch him, we can't hear him. But I, as I get older, the more I've realized how you can really walk with God every day. You know, that concept when I was younger was, was a little foreign. You know, I, again, I didn't grow up going to Bible class or to worship. And so I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do. And, and there for a long time, it was just about trying to not mess up, <laughs> to be honest with you. It was just trying to do what was right. And of course, I failed miserably many times and still do. But now I realize that God really wants a relationship with you and with me. If you think about it, Paul talks about in Romans that Christ, God through Christ has reconciled us to himself. Okay? The word reconcile, folks, is a relationship word. There are couples that have come to me over the years that have problems in their marriage and what they're looking for is somebody to help them reconcile their differences. And, and they come and, and they put it all out on the table and, and most of the time we work through it uh, if, if they're willing. But you know, the thing about it is as long as there's something separating a couple, they can't be reconciled. And sin has separated us from our God, folks. And the only way that we can have a relationship with Him is to be forgiven. And what Jesus did for us enables us now to have this relationship with God that was impossible before. Because we couldn't ever be good enough uh, to overcome our sin. And that's why it's such a wonderful thing now to be able to know that we can be close to God and that He really wants us to be. He's done everything possible on His end to make a relationship with Him possible. And so He's wanting a response from us. Um, can't help but think about this little girl that I read about one time. And this may be us sometimes, I think. She had this little stuffed animal that she loved so much. And, and she would hug that thing and take it with her everywhere she went. And one day she got a little frustrated. And her mom saw that she was kind of, you know, kind of had this distressed look on her face. And she said, honey, what's wrong? And she said, well, I love him and I love him and I love him but he don't love me back. He don't squeeze back, you know. And sometimes I wonder if, if God feels that way about us. He loves us and he loves us. He blesses us. He does everything for us. Do we really love him back? Do we really respond to the God that loves us so much that he gave his only son for us? That we would show that love by doing his will. You know, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the way that we show God our love. And, and, and we do that by walking with him every day. We're going in the same direction. We, we have the same goals. We have the same, you know, mindset. And so that's, that's the hope that we all ought to have is now that we have access to this invisible God, this invisible king, we ought to choose to make him happy and to walk with him rather than making other people around us happy. Um, so many times I'm, I'm guilty of, of worrying more about what other people think about me than what God thinks about me. 
And, and folks, we have to always realize that what God thinks matters more than anything. And, and again, He's looking at us through the eyes of love and through grace, but He's still expecting a response from us to that love that He's shown for us. He's, he's wanting us to, to love Him back. And so as we look at Moses and as we think about us, you know, we, we are in similar circumstances, are we not, that he was in when he became of age and he made these choices. The big choice is he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and he went with God's people. And that's the ultimate choice that we all have. We're going to be with the world. We're going to be with God's people. And, um, and again, you're here tonight on a Wednesday night. And there are a lot of people who are choosing to do other stuff out there. And that's what we have to keep in mind is, you know, we're in the minority. And so we're making that choice, that decision. And a lot of times those little things that are connected to that, suffering over the pleasure of sin, uh, the treasures of Christ rather than the treasures of this world, and obviously choosing the invisible king over the visible king. Those are the choices that we need to to make every day that will help us to maintain that big choice that we made years ago when we said, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And so I hope this helps us all to be wise in our choices and to go about our lives as God would have us. Let's end with a prayer right quick. Father, we're so thankful for this time we've had to study your word. And we just pray that you would bless us in our life with wisdom to make the right decisions, that we'd always choose you, Father, in your way over everything else. Continue to be with us. Give us the strength and courage to do so. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much.